ಭಕ್ತಾಧೃತವಿಗ್ರಹಂ ವೈ ಈಶಾವತಾರಂ ಪರಮೇಶಮಿಡ್ಯಂ ತಂಗ್ರಾಮಕೃಷ್ಣ ಶಿರಸಾನಮ ಜನನಿ ಸಾರದಿ ರಾಮಕೃಷ್ಣ ಜಗದ್ಗುರು ಪಾದಪದ್ಮೀತೃಣಮಿ ಮುಹೂರ್ಮುಹು ನಮಸ್ತಿರಾಜಾಯ ವಿವೇಕಾನಂದೇಕಾನಂದೇಕಾನಂದೇಕಾನಂದೇಕಾನಂದೇಕಾನಂದೇಕಾನಂದೇಕಾನಂದೇಕಾನಂದೇಕ
but that alone is not sufficient with all our endeavors to attain something long term goodness long term happiness we may tend to be selfish so the second factor is that it of course results in long term happiness and that should always ensure others welfare and happiness that's the goodness it should not be directed towards the selfish ends so with this idea that it should entail the long term happiness i have to endeavor for it at the beginning it may not be something uh, uh, which is giving me happiness uh, at the present because i have to really endeavor to lot of sadhana tapasya and then in the end in the long term it is waiting for me there the happiness is waiting for me there and that happiness again shouldn't be selfish it should be directed towards the welfare of all a student after so much of endeavor may have a good career but that career shouldn't be for the selfish ends it should be for the family it should be to lead a good life along with the family friends and the society so that we all understand so now the question comes why not we lead that type of life why to think of transcend the goodness so that we will first discuss otherwise the text uh, won't make much sense that's it if good acts gravitate us to the good circumstances and evil acts gravitate us to the evil circumstances so the question is then why not goodness be the aim of our life why we must transcend both good and evil so in this uh, context uh, we should understand that the problem is there is nothing called pure unadulterated everlasting goodness in life there is nothing called pure unadulterated everlasting goodness in life goodness is always interspersed with evil and it at it comes to end the what's the drawback of the so called goodness the apparent goodness which lures us you will find that however you may try in this world there cannot be pure uh, this goodness it it is off it has to be interspersed interspersed with evil just the way for smelting gold little impurity is required similarly in this life there is nothing called pure goodness pure sattva it is almost impossible it has to be tinged with a little of evil we will come to that and that is one point and another thing it it is not everlasting it comes to end however good life we may lead the sage the saint the sinner both have to meet the same end the death is waiting we cannot continue in spite of all our goodness it is something which is impermanent so these are the two things which we will find that goodness the drawbacks of the goodness to give an example to very give an example take two students uh, one student is never sincere in studies and other is very sincere in his studies his or her studies so as they proceed progress in their academic life naturally the one who is not sincere cannot excel much and the one who was quite sincere in profession we find he has he or she has excelled and that's all our goal in life 
that we even just forget about the spiritual goal at present, that what we uh, have the idea the, of our destiny, that let me work hard as a student so that I can prosper in my life. Now the worst student who has prospered, so-called prosperity, you all will agree with me, with all your dream about that so-called good life, the good job, can anyone in uh, here just say that my job was totally satisfactory? The thing which you have always dreamt that when you are there, you will find in spite of your good position, in spite of good salary, there is office politics, lot of jealousy, rat race, leg pulling, backbiting, fault finding is a common complaint. And sometimes we think that the job which we have joined, that the environment is not good. But I have sufficient qualifications. Why not I try for some another job? Mm. It's a common thing we all experience. There's those who are in the professional field. That at the beginning they, have, they were jumping from that one job to the other. They were constantly jumping from one job to other with the idea that they at last are going to get every very, very ideal environment where everyone is good, everyone is cooperating, wonderful teamwork. We find even if it happens for a short time, again, the things start changing. The somehow all those factors comes in. And in this life, everywhere that I tried to be good to my family, to my, in my office colleagues, but there was again misunderstanding my intentions were never properly understood. That again results in a lot of family dissensions, even within the family members. So however you try, the plan of the universe is such, the plan of the universe is such that you can never get unadulterated, everlasting happiness, however good you may be in this life. It is impossible. That's why Sri Ramakrishna used to say, this world is like a dog's curly tail. You can never straighten it. However you try to straighten it, again, it curls back. So this is the state of our existence. We still remember in the gospel of Sri Ramakrishna, almost in the end, we find Narain as a young boy coming to Ramakrishna was to a certain extent disgusted with the ways of life, seeing because he himself was in quite uh, unprecedented hardships. Suddenly it came after the father's death. And the, all the, the real hard facts of life he started experiencing. And there we find you know, in the gospel one day he's commenting that the plan of the universe is devilish. I would have created a better world. So that the young Noran and that young Noran is saying that he would have most probably planned a better world. But for good or for bad, the thing is, this world is really devilish. It is not pessimism. It is just the statement of fact. However, for thousands of years, avatars after avatars came, incarnations came. With all their life-giving philosophy, the world remains as it is. Not only that, most probably it has worsened. That's the way of the world. 
So with all this goodness, at last, when we are there, we will find in this life, it is almost impossible to get that unadulterated goodness. We all experience in this life, as we grow old, we gradually find, get disheartened by the ways of the life. Then the question comes, then why should we try to be good? The problem is the one who has not succeeded in life because he was not that methodical, that sincere in his student life. For him or for her, the other shore always appears to be greener. The pasture appears to be greener. He or she thinks that in my life, I couldn't get that bliss, that joy, that happiness because I never endeavored. So the so-called laziness, which I can say a type of evil, that gives me a feeling that most probably if I would have tried to be good, if I would have tried to really uh, endeavor in life, I would have achieved that greener pasture. But that's, that's a, again, that's a statement of fact. What's the statement of fact? It appears to be greener pasture there, but none are happy. He thinks that he or she thinks if I would have reached there, I would have been happier. But the one who is already there, he finds, he or she finds that, that life is interspersed with evil. It is just like the dog's curly tail. However we may try, we can not get that unadulterated everlasting happiness or goodness in this world. So the one who has not tried has to try to reach to that state to realize that. And once he realizes that, that he, by excelling in goodness, once he realizes that ultimately this world is such where I can never have that ultimate happiness, then the question of the detachment gradually comes. You will remember that story of Ramakrishna, which is very, very contextual in this discussion. The story of the person who went to a Siddha Purusha to get a ghost who will do all sorts of, who will work for him. He will just, he or uh, that ghost will obey all the orders and it should be quite efficient to just uh, uh, follow the orders and get the work done. So the Siddha Purusha warns him that I can deliver such a ghost, but know it for certain, if you keep it free, even for a moment, it is going to destroy you. You have to constantly keep it engaged. Well, that's easy. I can do that. There are so many things to do. The ghost was delivered to that person. And now whatever was asked, immediately it was done. So the small errands he did immediately. Now he thought what to ask him. So he went to a jungle, a huge jungle. He told, clear it off. Let me see how can they do it. To his amazement, it was done immediately. It's done. Built a palace. Done. Built an entire city. I, will, I want to be the one who is the owner of this entire city. Done. Make hospitals, schools, colleges, everything done immediately. Now he starts really fumbling. He doesn't know what to ask for. 
that whatever is asked, he says, he says he just does it immediately. And now when he was just waiting to think what to ask him, the ghost already started chasing him. As per as he was told that he will destroy him, he will break his neck. Now this man really gets scared. He knows that he has, he is, this ghost is tremendously powerful. So he starts running. The ghost uh, is chasing him, he starts chasing him and the man, man also is running to escape that ghost. And at last he reaches that Siddha Purusha, the one who delivered him the ghost. And he told, he asks him to say, please save me. Well, what has happened? Well, I will be killed. I cannot just give him any work. Whatever I give, he does it immediately. Then the man told, I have already told you. I warned you. Well, I never realized that he's so efficient. Now I have nothing to ask him for. And now he's going to kill me. Please devise out a plan and save me. Then the Shiddha Purusha says, just go outside. You will see that there is a dog. I can see that the dog is lying there lazily. Cut it still and deliver it to the ghost and ask him to straighten. Now the man finds for the first time, the ghost is doing something patiently. He tries when the tail was given, the curly tail was given. He tried to straighten it. The moment it was released, again it curled. He tried again and again. It was again getting curled. He couldn't straighten. And at last he told, please release me. I won't break your neck. Please release me, but I cannot straighten it. After telling this story, what the import of this story Ramakrishna says, that all with all our goodness in this world, we like the ghost is trying to straighten the curly tail. And at last, at last what happens? We ourselves get straightened. We say, please release me. This detachment has to come through goodness because the one who has never tried for goodness for him or her, the other shore is always the greener. The other shore has the greener pasture. He or she thinks that's waiting for me there. That's the plan of the world. It's just advertisement. And only when we get fooled by the advertisement, only then we realize what's the real way of the life. And again, we say, it's not pessimism. It's just the opposite. Those who think it pessimism, they are trying to, in the words of Swami Vivekananda's words, Swamiji's words are very direct, very poignant. He says, in our life, all our attempt of so-called optimism is just like trying to cover the decaying corpse with flowers. The corpse is decaying, I cannot stop it. And I cover it with flowers. And after some time I find the flowers also has started decaying and the smell comes in a much more intense way, we find. I cannot cover the corpse with flowers. It's impossible. And that's what the so-called optimism is. To, be, to, be, to speak the statement of fact, you can never find perfect, pure happiness in this life. You see the state of the world with all our attempts for happiness, what's there? So the plan of the universe is such, God has planned this in such a way. He wants to take us through a process of education, not to give happiness, to make us grow in strength spiritually. We were in ignorance from that ignorance. Gradually he's taking us through a process, just like reading a book. At last the book will be closed 
and I will be wiser. I will know the answer is not here. It is only, it is already there within me. Because of my ignorance, I was searching it somewhere else. And then the question of the dispassion, the detachment comes, and then only we can really appreciate the idea of transcending both the good and the evil. In the, because this world doesn't have the permanent answer. We have to relate to that another dimension of existence, the spiritual dimension of existence for real happiness. And there lies the importance of all the religions, of all the spiritual ideas. As has been very nicely spoken of in the Sankhya philosophy, that no one would have climbed the mountain to get some juicy fruit if the fruit was available in the plains, in the plateau. That some fruit trees are on the top of the mountain where the, all the fruits are juicy, it has ripened, but that fruit is not available in the plains. And that's why there is no other way than I have to climb. That why I should go through this endeavor of detachment, the spiritual journey, which is something very difficult. It's not very easy, but at the same time, it is attainable. It is just like climbing the top of Mount Everest, climbing the Mount Everest. It's not easy, but it is something which is attainable. So sometimes when we speak of detachment, dispassion, people say it's not possible. That's wrong. It's possible. It's as difficult as climbing the top of Mount Everest. It is very difficult. It is not easy. It is full of uh, perils, danger. It's there chances of fall. But that's the only way. There's no other way. In, in, when in our sadhu samaj, in the, whenever the monks are having some bhandara, there is some fist given to the monks to feed the monks. So there is a tradition that the monks, even while taking food, to keep their mind not totally engrossed in the food, but still to keep their mind in that sublime spiritual ideals. So even while taking food, they, uh, they will be constantly chanting some, reciting some small couplets. One such couplet is very interesting. When the sadhu's bhandara is going on, suddenly some sadhu will start saying that couplet. What's that? Sadhu hona kathin hai, jaisa per khajur, uthoge to ras milega, varna chakna chur. So it is just that to become holy, to become good is not easy. It's just like climbing a date, a palm tree. So you know that there is no branches. It's only in the top few leaves are there. The fruit is there. It's very difficult to just go to the top. If you slip, if you fall, you are going to break yourself. Chaknachur means you're going to break yourself. All your bones will be fractured. It may be fatal. But if you can go to the top, then you get the juice. So sadhu hona kathin hai, jaisa per khajur, uthoge to ras milega, varna chakna chur. So while even taking food, they constantly keep them aware of the fact that the path which they have chosen is not easy. But that's the only way to get the juice. It's difficult 
but at the same time it is something worthy to try because there is no other way nanya pantha vidyate vidyate anaya there is no other way there's the only way in that and that's that entails that all the hardships are at last be going to give me the worth the price of it in in this life we get sometimes deluded you have if you remember the gold rush in search of gold people were ready to even give away their lives even in australia it happened so many people died in their rush and here the real treasure is isn't it worth even to just keep the our life at stake to get that only way of happiness which we can which can be ensured in this world of imperfections so now we come to the idea of that why that to transcend both the good and evil is so important is a necessity it's not a luxury that okay i will lead a good life those who have that luxury of transcending good and even let them think of that i have nothing to do with that know it for certain we all today or tomorrow will have to realize that goodness also has to be forsaken by a sense of detachment now how detachment leads to this emancipation the next question is that at last the liberation comes to detachment how it happens now if you if you try to study the nature of the mind in a very simple language and then once you know the nature of the mind then it will be easy to get rid of its trap that the knowledge is power sri ramakrishna used to say so many stories another story was that one day an elderly person wore some mask the bear the bear mask and he went to the children who were all playing at the, at this initially the children never understood that it's someone wearing the mask they thought the real bear has come they were all screaming shouting out of fear and then one of the children one small girl she somehow recognized it told oh it's our uncle the moment that girl told oh it's our uncle who has masked himself immediately he removed the mask because he found that now i cannot make them afraid i have been caught i have been known so once you know the maya falls off once you know the nature of the mind the mind falls off that we will try to understand wow what's the nature of the mind we have an idea that we have one composite mind no even in the modern psychology they speak even in the yoga sutra that idea is there there are various mental modules i will come to the discussion you will find it's not very difficult to understand these all mental modules <clears throat> is there in my mind is is what so called constitutes my mind and all these mental modules doesn't get activated spontaneously only one module can get activated at a time only one mental module can get activated at a time and each of these modules have its own stimuli response conditioning that is fixed but the module which gets activated as per the circumstances it responds to the situation in that fixed response which is uh, with which that module has been designed 
but making us think I have taken the decision. So it may appear with abstract, with the example, it will be very clear. That example uh, we gave so many times, a young lady is walking down the street, a dog barks, she immediately gets scared and starts running. She even haven't seen the dog. She hasn't seen the dog. Just hearing the bark, she starts running. The next day, she is holding the child. She's the mother. She's holding the child. Now, what to speak of the barking of the dog? Even if a lion springs on her, on the child, what she will do? She will now come in front. She will be between the child and the lion, protecting the child, ready to give away her life. But the child should be protected. What has happened? The last day she was scared even of the barking of the dog. What gave that courage? She thought it is she who took the decision to save the child. But even the psychology will say you, if you really study what has happened, the previous day when she was alone, there's a mental module called self-protection module. That got activated as per the circumstance. The barking of the dog activated that. It's not that she decided to activate that. It got simultaneously activated as per the situation. And in that mental module, the response is, there is danger, run. She thought she took the decision of running and she, she ran. But actually the module decided that she should run. The next day when she was carrying the child, it is a child protection module that got activated, not the self-protection module. Why? Again, is it my decision or the mother's decision? No. The nature has devised, has designed us in such a way. Why? That once you have the child, once you have the progeny, your work is done. For nature, the, the nature wants to sustain itself for which we are the tools. My work has been done. The nature's sustenance continues with the existence of the progeny. So now its existence is primary. So the nature has devised all those mental modules in such a way that now in this situation, it is only the child protection module that is bound to get activated. There is so much of poetry of mother's love for the child. But in the animal world, where they have no such poetry, just instinct works for them, there also you'll find the same thing. There is not a single creature who is not ready to give away the life for the children. What has happened? The child protection module got activated spontaneously. And now you find his response is totally different. Previous day, she was running away from the situation. Now she is even ready to give away her life to protect the child. There are so many examples. In some reputed university, one experiment has been done. It is very, you will find it is very interesting where once some short course was there for the elderly persons or they're already married, they have already completed their student life, they're in their profession, just as a part-time course, some course was formulated for them, which will help them in their profession. Uh, so many have enrolled for that, but they never knew that with them, some experiment was going to be done. On the halfway of the course, it was planned that all the so-called students will be taken for some excursion where their family members can accompany them. 
So all the so-called middle-aged students with their family, with their wife, with the children, they were all taken for an excursion. It was on the mid of the term. The excursion was planned in such a way that by train they will go, in the evening they will get down into a country town, in a country town, stay overnight, next day they will proceed the, to the destination in another trip. Now in the evening when they got down in the country town, now it's a country town, it's a small town, it doesn't have sufficient hotels, sufficient accommodation for all in the heart of the town, in the hub of the town. Some have to go into a bit remote place for their overnight stay. Now, the authorities thought that if we ask them to choose the hotel, then what will happen? That some will be forced to choose the hotel, maybe at a remote place which they don't want. So they actually thought, let us conduct an experiment. It was a pre-plan that instead of giving them to choose the hotel now, after getting down from the train, let us take them to some mall where there is a cinema complex. Two, three movies are going on. They're taken there. And now the, all the, the students with their families, they were asked to go to the movie, whatever they like. So the two movies were going on. One was a horror movie and another was a family adventure movie. Some went for the horror movie, some went for the family adventure movie. When they came out, now the option for the hotel was kept in front of them. So you see, all the hotels are not in the hub of the town. Some are in remote place. What type of hotel you want? And as they have already thought of, anticipated, that's what happened. Those who went for the horror movie, they all chose the hotel, which hotels which were in the hub, in the center, in the rustle bustle, hustle bustle of the small town. They all chose the, those hotels. And those who went for the family adventure movie, they themselves chose, they, they thought it is their choice. They all chose for the bit remote hotels. They thought they have taken the decision. But actually the experiment which was done to, on the, uh, to find out the way the modules get activated, they immediately came to the conclusion that what has happened actually? So those who went for the horror movie, you know, that they were in the protection mode. That whenever you are, your life is endangered. So in the horror movie, the entire environment is searched as if the life is endangered. So that's scared, out of that uh, fear, the people are in protection mode. When they come out, they choose the hotels in the hub of the city. Why? If you just go to the uh, evolution, process of evolution, you'll find a wonderful thing that whenever the predator attack, attacks the herd, herd of cattle, you'll find a wonderful thing. All the herds want to run. They will be running, but they will run together. No one gets singularized. No one will be running apart from the herd because they know very well if I get singularized, the entire focus of the predator will be on me and I am at peril, I'm at danger. If I'm with the herd, I may be saved. The predator may not focus on me if I'm in the herd. So when we are in the protection mode, we always want to be in the herd. So for them, as those who went for the horror movie, as the protection module got activated, 
they wanted to be in the hub of the town, in the hustle bustle of the town with all. Those who went for the family adventure movie, for them, this, fa this family module got activated. When I am with my family, I want to be alone. I want my privacy. I don't want the world to intermingle in it. And they went for the remote place. They all thought they took the decision, but actually it is the mental module which got activated as per the circumstances. And that has its own stimuli response condition that took the decision. So this is our state of existence. This is the nature of mind. Now, very interesting thing you will find. If this is the nature of the mind, now sometimes when we, I come back from the office and I'm now a bit relaxed, no immediate responsibilities. I am sitting relaxed in my own home in the cozy environment. And I think, let me just relax. And then you will find that's the time where your mind really become works very queer in a very queer fashion. But suddenly you will find that the mind is having some thoughts, suddenly it changes. Some other thought come and you find that you are assailed with so many ideas without your decision. So many ideas, so many situations are getting prominence in your mind one after the other. And you find it has almost gone to the verge of fantasy. Why it happens? Now, this as we were speaking of that, that when we have so many mental modules, when as per a particular situation, particular module gets activated, but when you are in a default mode, you're relaxed. All the modules which has been pampered by your ego at some point of time, as per the circumstances concert, they all have been nourished by you. Now, when you're relaxed, you're like a nanny sitting in your room to relax, but it's a holiday where all the grandchildren has come. And now you want to relax, but all the grandchildren are surrounding you and they all want to be pampered. So they are all trying to draw your attention. So here, that's the thing which happens. You can really find out the, how the mind is working when you are relaxed. All these mental modules are like the pampered grandchildren trying to get trying to get the attention of the nanny. So you find that it's all jumping. It's the situation like that I was feeding the birds for years together. All the, every morning the birds used to, so many birds used to come as to feed them. Now one day I decide I won't feed them. What will happen? Will the birds stop coming? No, they will continue. It takes some time for the birds, for the grandchildren to get the feedback that however we may try, our nanny is not going to yield. The birds will understand that however we may try, the person who is to give us cereals is not going to yield. And then gradually they will start falling off. They won't come anymore. Because if you are not going to pamper them and they get the feedback, it takes some time. Then we will start falling off. And once the mental model starts falling off, not to disturb you anymore, and you have got now established in yourself, even by getting rid of that hub of the will, the ego, by constantly meditating on the fact that I am not this petty ego, I am the self. You're hammering the hub. The hub also gets destroyed. And if the hub gets destroyed once, there is no question of hinging to it. The mental modules hinging to it. 
So now you will understand what the entire spiritual journey is. Whatever may be our spiritual faith, belief, whatever may be our practice, how varied may be our this, uh, mythologies, rituals, practices, basic thing is to go to that type of detachment where the mental models first starts falling and at last I get rid of the ego. At present, my mind is what it's like a will where the hub of the will is my ego and the spikes, each and every spike is the connection with the mental modules. If I get rid of one spike, the other spikes are there to keep the will intact. So at last we have to get rid of the module, that's the hub. If I can get rid of the hub, the entire will collapses. So that's the entire idea of spirituality. Whether you are a believer in God or whether you are constantly contemplating on the idea that I am the self, is the same thing. When I'm contemplating on the idea that I am the self, you're constantly hammering the hub, the ego, that I'm not that limited ego, I'm the self. When you think of God, then also the same thing happens. God is eternal. I as spirit as eternal, am eternal, not as this body. My eternal companionship with the divine is the worship of the spirit by the spirit. And that way again, you will find the same thing is happening. There also you are hammering your ego to get rid of the hub. So these are the two basic practices to get fast immediately as a short term goal. I get rid of the spikes which are really disturbing me by detachment. But there are so many spikes which are not even in my conscious mind, not visible because the favorable circumstances are not there, but they are there. How to get rid of them? To get rid of by getting rid of the hub. So all the vyakta of vyakta vasanas fall starts falling off by this process. So now let us go back to that example. The really established person as a student, was a good student, sincere student. He's got established, has good job, find, doesn't find good environment, changes the job, hops from job to job. At last the realization comes. However I may try that the result which I'm seeking to get that unadulterated bliss is not possible. So should he leave the job now? No. Immediate responsibility entails. He has to continue with the job. He has, he or she has his family, children to maintain. How can we just simply forsake the job? The immediate responsibility says you have to do the job, but taking this to be the state of existence that I can never get that ideal situation, which I was thinking of, I have to continue with my responsibilities with the idea of Swami Vivekananda, seek not, avoid not, with a dispassion, with a detachment, taking the things for granted that this is the way of life, seek not, avoid not. And this is your karma yoga starts now. That the detachment has started working with this seek not, avoid not, even when you are working, you're not allowing the mental modules to be pampered by that detached attitude, though you are working. It is not the work, it is the expectation that entails in bondage. And now when you start working with that type of detachment, you find it's not easy. Though I want to be detached, my sanskaras, my tendencies forces me to react. So what I do now, I think, yes, it is the time that when I go back home, I should resort to some type of practice that I will 
in a relaxed mood when I'm sitting, let me do that vichara, as has been spoken of in the scriptures in various ways. But let me intensify that thought that I am just the witness. I am not in any, I owe neither the good nor the evil things of life. I'm just going through this phase and witnessing them. I am the Atman, I am the soul, or I am the devotee of God who has eternal connection with the divine. And this is just the passing phase, which I need not give too much importance in a detached manner. So see, with the karma, the jnana also comes into existence for all of us. Now, what is bhakti? When you really go on doing this vichara, either as a devotee or as a jnani, just I am the self, I may not be believer, I may not have that temperament to worship God. Yes, I am the self or the one who is worshipping God for both. With a constant vichara, as we told, because of the neuroplasticity, what you do regularly, what you do again constantly, once it becomes habit, it creates as if a path in your mind and you start liking it. Now you will find that for the vichara, the love has come. Even in Viveka Churamani, where we find Shankaracharya is defining bhakti as the love for vichara. It doesn't mean that you have to have some personal God for that love for to develop. That love develops by that constant vichara and the bhakti comes into picture. There, this liking for the ideal, whatever it may be, that high ideal, which speaks of negation of the ego. That's bhakti. And this love results in the spontaneous one-pointed meditation. And that is being spoken of as the Raja Yoga. So you will find naturally in a very wonderful full way, your life has taught you to get seasoned in the spiritual practices. It comes, you know, day to day life, it very becomes very easy to understand that how they all can find place in my spiritual journey. I can synthesize all of them and they all at last, the aim is same for karma yoga is also the detachment. For Jnana Yoga also it's the detachment. For the Bhakti also it is the detachment. For Raja of course it is a detachment. Once with all these Yogas, you can really develop that power of detachment. That detachment. Then your spiritual journey gets accelerated. And it will lead to that transcendence of both good and evil to make you ultimately free, which is the goal of our life, that nothing is there to bind me anymore. The mind has fallen off, making me free, giving is the realization that I was perfect because of ignorance. I was going through all those experiences. I was already perfect. Once you get rid of the mental modules, then that realization dawns. And that's what is the goal of inter-spiritual journey. Now you will understand that why Swamiji is speaking of transcending both good and evil, because that alone can give us the ultimate happiness, the ultimate goodness, the ultimate purpose of life. As a human being, we have that capacity. Other creatures doesn't have. We have that capacity to reach that ultimate purpose of life. And that's what Swamiji has spoken of in the very prelude of Jnana Yoga in the prelude of Jnana Yoga. What he told, each soul is potentially divine. A, a prelude of Raja Yoga. He starts with that, that very nicely, that these few lines are like mantras. 
each soul is potentially divine. The goal is to manifest this divinity within by controlling nature, external and internal. This controlling nature means the more detachment you're practicing within with all your thoughts, with all your tendencies, and of course with the external world, when all the sensate lurements are there in your presence, all the temptations, all the trials, tribulations are there in the external world as well, which is in the internal, both the way you are trying to be detached. When you are in the karma, you're dealing with the external world. When you are relaxed and trying to just maintain the composure of your mind, the entire struggle becomes within both the ways you're trying to be detached. That's how you're trying to controlling the nature, both external and internal. Now the next thing which he says is very interesting. Do this either by work or worship. Work means karma yoga or worship means bhakti yoga or psychic control, the raja yoga or philosophy, the gana yoga. By one or more or all of this and be free. This is the whole of religion. The doctrines and dogmas and rituals or books or temples or forms are but secondary details. How nicely in these few words, Swamiji has actually presented the world with the crux, with the core of all our spiritual and religious beliefs. And with this background in mind, uh, we will resort to the text uh, which Swami Vivekananda will be continuing in his uh, uh, a discussion of that chapter, uh, which we are dealing with the third chapter. So uh, let us just much time is not there. Just we will go to the text and you will find that how that the same idea is being this, these ideas is being uh, stated by Swamiji in his own unique way. So we will just go to the text to uh, give an idea today and we'll continue with the discussion again in the next class. So let us just share with So somehow I cannot share the screen today. I don't know if something has problem has happened. So the next class, uh, we will continue with the, this discussion, the same discussion. Now with this discussion in our background of our mind, we will resort to the uh, text and try to find out uh, that uh, how uh, that Swamiji is also uh, actually uh, speaking of these ideas uh, by the unique way of his own uh, description. So uh, we will continue with that again in the next class. With this, we stop our uh, discussion today. Thank you. Namaskar, Swamiji. Ah, namaskar. Thank you, namaskar. Swamiji. Namaskar. Ah, namaskar. Swamiji, I have a question. Uh, yes, yes, please. You have said that. Uh, thank you. Yeah, thank you. Take note, heard not, as Swamiji said. Excuse me. Uh, 
Uh, excuse me, just I couldn't hear the uh, that uh, what what Swamiji said. Uh, you said that uh, seek not, avoid not. Ah, yes, yes. So what what uh, that means by seek not? So, uh, so when just take that specific example, the job, what was happening <clears throat> uh, at the beginning? You thought that most probably the present work scenario with all the people is not favorable for really getting the happiness which I want. So at the beginning, what you do, you go on from hopping from job to job, isn't it? That we find that is seeking. And at, at last, when you realize that wherever I go, I don't get that ideal because all the works in here are same. Now, will you avoid? I will you say, let me just uh, stop working at total. I will just retire. I won't work at all. After all, it is the same. I cannot avoid that also because I have the responsibilities, isn't it? So now you will understand with this specific example in this life, when that realization comes, then seek not that because futile, however you try, you are not going to get that the ideal situation which you are thinking in this world. This world is perfectly imperfect. But at the same time, I cannot avoid it. The situation, the circumstances in which I am placed at present, I immediately cannot just simply deny it. I have to be with it. And so that now instead of hopping, I continue with a job. That's what happened. We find with all most of us at the beginning of their uh, profession, at the beginning of their professional life, they're hopping from job to job. A time comes, then they get settled. What has happened? That realization has come that the seeking is of no use. At the same time, I cannot avoid. I have to be detached from the happenings. And there, if I am spiritually oriented, that's the time when the spiritual journey can really be intensified. That realization can take us in two ways. Those who have no spiritual orientation, those who always try to get all the answers in this world, for them, utter depression may come. But for the others, they will take it as a great wisdom to really now start their spiritual journey. So I think uh, to a certain extent, this idea will be clear now that why Swamiji is saying, seek not, avoid not. Thank you, Swamiji. Namaskar. So, Hari Om Swamiji. Pranam Swamiji. Namaskar. Pranam Swamiji. Namaskar. Thank you, Swamiji.